You are listening to episode 34 of the EU Startups Podcast. Today's guest is Richard Maybe, the founder and CEO of Juro, a London-based skill-up which offers an all-in-one contract management platform. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the EU Startups Podcast. It has been a while since we published a new edition, since we've been very busy with the organization of this year's EU Startup Summit. The event was great. In total, we gathered over 2,000 founders, startup enthusiasts, and investors, and we already started working on next year's edition of the event. In 2024, the EU Startup Summit will be held on May 9 and 10 in beautiful Malta, and I hope to meet many of you there in person. Tickets are already available. And before we jump into the interview with today's guest, I'm excited to introduce our podcast sponsor. This episode of the EU Startups Podcast is brought to you by Vanta, helping you scale security practices and automate compliance for the industry's most sought-after standards. To close and grow major customers, you have to demonstrate trust. But providing your security and compliance can be time-consuming, tedious, and expensive especially for startups, unless you use Vanta. Vanta automates up to 90% of the work for the most thought-after compliance standards like SOC2 and ISO 27001 and gets you audit-ready in weeks instead of months. With Vanta, you get up to 400 hours of your time back and reach up to 85% in cost savings. And for a limited time, EU startups listeners get $1,000 off Vanta. Just go to vanta.com forward slash EU startups without a dash to get started. And now I'm handing over to my colleague Patricia and to today's guest. Hello and welcome to another episode of the EU Startups podcast. And today we are joined by Richard Maybe, who is the co-founder and CEO of the UK-based legal tech startup Juro. It was founded back in 2016 to reinvent and to make the legal contract frictionless and accessible to everyone. And Juro has since grown pretty rapidly as it helps bring what I guess is a very pretty rigid industry into the digital era. And, you know, over the past year, the company has tripled its headcount. Um, it's also, you know, got offices in Riga as well as London. And there's a new hub in Portugal soon to be opening in 2023. It, it's a company that operates on a remote basis. Um, I think it's fair to say that Richard's been a very visionary leader behind the company's rapid success so far. So Richard, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I'm really looking forward to learning more about Juro today and, and diving into some of the key philosophies and strategies that you have driving forward the company. So firstly, maybe you could tell us a little bit about Juro in your, in your own words. Great. Well, super happy to be here and thanks for having me on the show. Um, so Juro is a contract automation platform. Uh, so we help businesses, uh, generally speaking, fast growing businesses, uh, sometimes startups, sometimes scale ups uh, to automate the processes around mm -hmm. building, creating, managing, negotiating, signing and tracking their legal contracts. Um, so sometimes those are really simple contracts like non-disclosure agreements or sales contracts or employment contracts sometimes they're a little a little more complex than that 
but we try to make that process frictionless. And in doing so, we help businesses to move faster because they can get the legal paperwork out of the way and get back to doing what they do best. Okay, interesting. So it seems like it's a fairly, you know, very important practice. Like, I mean, anybody who's had any interaction with business or any business person who works in a business knows interactions from businesses to other businesses. There's a lot of contracts to sign, a lot of people. There's a lot of a lot of contracts, and no one quite knows how many contracts there are in the world. But we know that there are a lot, uh, and we constantly mm-hmm. try and estimate. And we sort of come up with these figures like a trillion contracts. Um, but contracts are everywhere, as you say, right? And they're not just for lawyers. So. I started out my career as a lawyer, so I spent a lot of time uh, building contracts uh, in the early parts of my career. But you know, since then, as an employee, I've signed an employment contract. Uh, as a tenant uh, taking on a, a lease, I've signed a lease. Actually, everyone has contracts as part of their lives. And for businesses, the contracts are really central to the kind of core processes. So if you want to get any revenue, you have to sign a contract. If you want to hire any staff, you've got to sign the contracts. Uh, if you want to take on any supplies, you've got to sign the contracts. So, you know, we started thinking of contracts not just as, as paperwork, but as kind of foundational part of business. And the more mm-hmm. we saw how archaic the processes are, which are typically, you know, Microsoft Word documents being pushed around over email, the, the more we realized how much of an opportunity there was to actually speed up this process. Interesting. So, I mean, as you said, that you, you worked as a lawyer beforehand. So, was there any like inspiration or any key pain point that inspired you to to jump on the entrepreneurial bandwagon and start your own company? Yes, it was frustration more than inspiration, right? So <laughs> I, I spent a lot of time actually doing this stuff. Um, and, yeah. I, you know, I think lawyers, there are a lot of smart lawyers out there um, who, you know, train for years to do this really complex, like problem solving work. And, and what they find is that actually a lot of the work of the day to day is is pretty manual process. So I reckon at one point I was spending three hours a day on these super manual tasks like downloading files, uploading files, comparing files, right? So lawyers call this red lines. Uh, and it's mm-hmm. called red lines because you used to send it by mail and the lawyer on the other side would use a red pencil and then mark up the document, send it back. And then the other lawyer would use a blue pencil and send it back. And we haven't moved that far from that, right? We're still doing that. Even the track changes in the in the word file looks like that. Um, and there's still this email exchange, which incurs a huge amount of admin. So I think w- when I was in practice, like I-, I saw that and I thought this is crazy. And then I wondered, well, why, why hasn't it been solved? Because so many of these core business processes like CRM have been kind of comprehensively solved. Uh, and all the while, legal is still you know, 10 or 20 years behind where yeah, the rest really. of the departments should be. And so why do you think that is? Why do you think that the legal side of things has taken a little bit longer to catch up with automation and digital transformation, whereas in other spheres of life, it seems to be moving at a super rapid pace? Well, I, I think one reason is that, you know, it's, it's only really been in the last um, probably 10 years where legal has started to reinvent themselves a little bit. Um, So not in terms of technology, but in terms of their place in the business. So if you have an in-house legal team, the kind of traditional view of that team is this is the department who says no, right? They're a cost center, they're quite expensive, and they basically exist to block stuff. So you want to ship something on the website, they say no. You want to get a deal done, they say no. Um, And and I think that the smarter lawyers uh, have done 
some amazing kind of thought leadership and work, which is trying to orient the legal function as a revenue driver. So for example, okay. if you have to get a commercial contract signed, the legal team can speed up the negotiation, can do that really, really well, and that can help push business forward. So I think that there's been a mindset shift and that shift, is, I, I think, just took a long time to get there. Yeah, I think that's quite an interesting point. Um, I'd like to maybe get your thoughts a little further on that and how this, you know, this reimagination of what exactly a lawyer is um, and how they can support a business, how they can support people rather than hold things back. Definitely. Well, I think, um, you know, a lot of it is about human beings and not technology, right? So, so I think, yeah. you know, us lawyers, like we're, we're kind of risk averse by nature, which is good. You actually want <laughs> your lawyer to be risk averse. You don't want them to be taking crazy risks. Um, and, and they, and, and rightly so. And they take on a lot of risk, you know, that they're professionals who have some practicing certificates and you know, there's a lot of liability and risk to deal with, right? Um, so, so a lot, a lot of a lawyer's job is about, um, trying to prevent things from going wrong. And, and sure. you know, when, when I was a lawyer, I, I kind of reached deep into my soul and I said, yeah, I, am I actually the person who wants to, uh, you know, uh, avoid things going wrong or am I the person who wants to actually like make things go right? Uh, and that was one driver behind me, you know, becoming an entrepreneur. But I think for lawyers now, there are so many forward looking lawyers who have made that mindset shift within legal. Right. And so making things go right, all about enabling other teams in the business creates much better human relationships. And if you have good human relationships, then the, the technology follows, right? Because, you know, people will want to automate, people want to use the software uh, to do that. Interesting. It's about, you know, utilizing tech to support humans rather than hold it back. And, and I guess in the legal field, you're obviously very analytical thinkers and have the, li the, the, the laws and the guidelines there. And instead of using them as a rigid, this is how you have to do it instead of using it as these are the opportunities and the ways we can make it work for us. Definitely. And, you know, I, I think the further I get in my career, the more I realize there's no great mystery about the legal profession. I mean, sometimes like scary when you look at these contracts and you sort of read there's sometimes like capital letters in them, especially the American contracts. Uh, and they've got these archaic words, you know, here with, notwithstanding. And you think to yourself like, God, I'm not clever enough to understand this thing. But actually it's all kind of nonsense, right? And, and the really good lawyers will draft and write really plain English, short sentences, get to the point. And, and I, I believe this passionately, which is actually this should be accessible to everyone, right? It's actually one big yeah. part of our mission is opening up and democratizing this stuff because, you know, a sales contract is actually far more about sales than it is about legal, right? It's, it's more to, to do with codifying a commercial relationship. And, you know, we have a lot of fun um, in, in our kind of brands uh, okay. and with our community in, in thinking about this, which is like, how do you make law more human? Right. Um, and, and we find these amazing champions in startups and scale ups, um, especially, but all over the place uh, who, are, who are on that similar mission. Um, and a jury doesn't solve that for them. Right. We play a small part, which is, you know, we can streamline contract workflows. Um, but, but we do whatever we can to support that because I think it's right. Uh, and I think ultimately, you know, anyone should be able to deal with contracts. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I totally agree. I mean, I think. The legal field is pretty famous, right, for its legal jargon and, and being not so accessible to the everyday person. Like, you know, you need to have a big dictionary sitting beside you to understand yeah. some of the things sometimes. And, you know, I think it's, it's really interesting to see this approach to try and make it more accessible, to democratize the space 
for the good of people because ultimately that's why the lawyers and the legal team is there. And so could you maybe share a little bit more about Jiro's vision to do that? How exactly are you going about, as you said, mentioned there, helping startups who are and supporting startups and other scale-ups and companies who are going about this too in their contracts? Where exactly does Jiro fit in in the puzzle? Our vision is to become the default way to agree terms. Right. So, okay. so what, what's the status quo today? So basically what people do is they use Microsoft Word to create a template. Uh, they negotiate it over email using track changes. They save it as a PDF. They upload it to DocuSign. And once it's signed, they store it in Google Drive and might have, if they're really fancy, they might have an Excel spreadsheet called Contracts Register where they'll list out the contracts. That, that's okay. what 99% of businesses are doing, more or less. So Jura says, well, we should be an all-in-one platform that replaces all of those tools. So to give you a kind of real example, um, if there's a commercial contract, we integrate with HubSpot and Salesforce. You just click a button. It pushes the relevant data from your CRM. Contract gets generated. We'll go through workflows, uh, approvals. It can be negotiated within the Juro editor. Uh, it can be signed with Juro sign, uh, and then it can be stored and tracked in Juro's repository. So, so the kind of core thing we do is we take five tools, condense them down into one. Um, but, but the kind of exciting thing that that unlocks and emerges is, well, it's a fundamentally different way of doing contracts. And, you know, we've, we've just passed a threshold of having processed a million contracts in this browser native way, which has never really been done before. So um, there's this brave new world emerging of, well, you know, maybe we don't need files, all right? Maybe we don't need PDFs, we don't need Word. Um, and, and there are certain advantages to doing so. I mean, some are very technical, like it means, means our editor can be very flexible and our integrations can be very deep. Um, and some are relating to data, which is, you know, one of the big problems with contracts is because they contain all those sort of weird legal paragraphs. It's very hard to get information out of them. Okay. So, you know, what's the price? Who's it with? When does it end? Um, and if you do that in a structured way using Juro, you get that data from the get-go. So there's also a data advantage to doing that. Um, but in, in 10 years' time, we hope that we've reduced the number of documents that are being exchanged in these files and transferred them into the Juro browser native environment. And if we can do that, then we would have you know, materially moved the, um, the world forward. Of course, right. So it's, it's quite a revolutionary process then, I, I would say. It, it is. I mean, in legal, it's it's <laughs> radical, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. But but, but but legal needs, I think, does need significant change, and actually, lawyers want okay. that change. The good lawyers want that change. Um, but um, yeah, and you know, when we started Euro, we had a lot of uh, haters who said, "Well, <laughs> you know, lawyers are never going to leave Microsoft Word." Um, and you know that that's true. Like there will always be uh, some laggards who who don't change their ways of working. But you know we now have a million contracts process, so we are starting to see that shift, and we're starting to see even the more traditional lawyers saying, "Well, you know, I, I'll give this a go because it, you know, theoretically should be ten times better than what I'm doing." Yeah, absolutely. And I guess as well, you know, there's there's always going to be doubters out there, and you have to go in and prove. The value of what you're doing and i think you've clearly done that quite well with having as you said a million million contracts now through the, the system so another interesting aspect to juro is that you you leverage this lawyer community um so could you maybe just tell us a little bit about that what, what exactly is the lawyer community 
Sure. So we have a community of, I think it's now around 870 in-house lawyers. Um, and it, it centers around a Slack group. And then there's a whole events program of uh, online webinars, in-person events. And they're lawyers all throughout Europe. Um, and actually, 20% are now in the US. Um, and, and really, that community is for lawyers who are operating in uncertain scale-up environments. So usually okay. at like really fast-growing companies that sort of say, you know, after their Series B, gosh, we need a lawyer now. And the lawyer comes in and they sort of have this crazy job of handling all the risk in these com com uh, companies and, and trying to figure out what's going on. And, and what our community does is it, it helps them to navigate that. So we have a whole stack of resources and materials on, you know, how to run a 90-day plan if you're a GC, how to ensure that you can get started with the materials you need, um, and then peer-to-peer -peer learning. And, and I think for us, you know, our, our community itself is a kind of advocacy of Juro as well. So we have people coming from the community and saying, well, actually, you know, we'll give Juro a go as well. So it's been a huge thing for us, um, I think, over the last couple of years. And I think especially when you're doing something ambitious, just getting that incredibly deep understanding of the user um, is so vital. And the community has really helped us to do that. Interesting. So you have these kind of two two pronged approaches. You have you're you're helping check out legal the legal sphere with with this tech platform, but also through this community. Um, have you seen any clear benefits of the community, or do you have any examples of how it helps support the wider startup ecosystem? Sure. I, I mean, I, I think you know what, one thing that we looked at really early was well, how how we're going to market Juro. Uh, which is something I guess all startups, uh, you know, in your community will, will will face, and you can do it in lots of yeah. different ways. But you know, we decided we wouldn't go and sort of plaster the uh, uh, the, the London Metro with uh, big adverts, and we decided that we wouldn't uh, just kind of pay for you know Google AdWords. We decided that actually, if we create great content that our target users find valuable, mm -hmm. then we believe it will pay dividends in the medium term. And so for us, you know, as a business, we obviously get lots of customers from our community. It's not the main reason we do it, but we get lots of customers from our community. Um, and that's led to you know, millions in annual recurring revenue. Um, but for the wider community, I think also the team here at Jura is just passionate about, about delivering this thought leadership, right? So there's a give back, which is, you know, you can be a member of the community and you don't have to touch Jura, right? You can not be a customer. Um, but, but it's important and, and we, we get a lot of knowledge from our customer. We feel, it, feel it's our obligation to go and share that in the world. Great, so it's kind of like a knowledge hub as well and you know, to, to share and interchange ideas and perspectives. And um, so you can keep developing, keep pushing forward this legal tech sphere, right? D definitely, and I, and I think for any startup, I, I'd really encourage any startup to look at that, which is, you know, if you're building a business, you're going to have a target group of users. Uh, they might be, you know, it might be a B2C thing, but especially in B2B, they tend to be the same kind of folks. So maybe they're like a revenue operations manager, or maybe they're in HR, or maybe they're in procurement. Um, but you, you'll realize that your users are actually quite similar to each other, or they should be if you're selling a coherent pro pro uh, product. And that means they've got all the same problems. And so what community can do is bring them together and you can try and like work through those problems, some of which may be related to your product and some may not. Um, and, and, and the benefits, I think, to the company is yeah, you, you get to learn way more than you would otherwise about the very people who you build for and, uh, and who you sell to. 
Interesting. I think it's a super important aspect, you know, to, to brand identity as well. And also to create this kind of, you know, brand awareness that you are aware of what your, your target audience want and what they need and their, their pain points. And you're prepared to, to be there to help them. And so beyond the, the contract automation side of things, are there any main pain points that you're seeing coming up through this community that you think that Juro could be on hand to help with in the future? De- definitely. I think, you know, where, where Juro started was uh, empowering like very routine contracts, right? So the really simple agreements. Um, so, you know, NDAs or employment contracts and um over time, Jiro's offering has broadened a little bit, and that's that's been driven, I think, a lot by our customer advisory board, by our community. Um, and an example of that would be, you know, Jiro is now set up to accept uh, third-party contracts, so vendor contracts. So if you want to upload some PDF contracts that you've got sitting in a Google Drive, you can do that in one click. Um, and again, this was just something we learned from the community. It's not necessarily kind of squarely in line with what we thought we would do, but it's something we just we just learned. Um, that all said, that there are kind of limits, and I think one thing we believed in a lot at, at Juro is extreme focus. And so, like, we really want to become the absolute world experts at contract automation. And right now, for kind of legal teams and the teams they mm-hmm. enable at scaleups, um, and 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 so you know, although we get tons of feature requests on, can you do task management? Can you do this, that, and the other? We, we basically say no. But what we do have is really robust APIs. So that means that people can connect into Juro and they can connect other tools with Juro. So like we uh, are supported in uh, Zapier's marketplace. So you can now connect Juro with like 10,000 applications. Um, and so, so, so I think it, it's, it's balanced between specialization, but also the gentle nudges you get from your users. Uh, and, and if you listen to them, it will influence your product development. Absolutely. And so, so you're using collaborative approaches then as well alongside your community-based approaches to kind of create this holistic, this holistic overview to help keep pushing forward um, for, for scale-ups, which I think is, is really interesting. And of course, collaborative, collaboration and, and community are two pillars really at the moment. We're starting to see just how important collaboration and community can be to not only the long-term success of the individual company, but also the wider ecosystem as a whole. And so in your, your mission to become a global leader, um, so you were founded in, in London, in the UK, and you also have offices in, in Riga. And I think 2023, you'll be expanding out to, to Portugal. Um, could you maybe give a little bit of insight into just what it's like to expand internationally, particularly whenever you know that tends to come with a lot of re- legal red tape and you are a legal tech company. So, so maybe you could just give some insight into international market expansion. Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, so the, the world is not really ready for what startups want. Right? So startups <laughs> yeah. want to just be able to work with smart people wherever. That's what we want. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, in, when I co-founded the company with Pavel in 2016, I mean, Pavel's a Latvian national. Uh, so we just decided that we would split the company between Latvia and the UK. Um, and, and I remember at the time, it's like some, one of my biggest mistakes is I remember someone said, well, I'm, I'm moving to Berlin. And can I still work for Jura? This is in 2016. I was like, I, I don't think you can. You know, <laughs> I'm not sure it's legally possible. Yeah. And this was before all of these providers like you know, remote.com wow. and Velocity and the rest. Well, before the, the pandemic happened and, and before, everybody kind of, 
Yeah. It was before the pandemic. So so we, we've always done that. I mean, in recent times, we've built up a you know big remote hub um, throughout Europe. Um, and you know, we made the decision quite recently to double down on Lisbon, uh, actually really Portugal as a, as a country, um, and, and doing that using, you know, um, uh, all the technologies that are available to streamline it. But even then, I think that the legal kind of differences country to country, like if you have an employee in a country or even a contractor in a country are wildly different. And there are, it's a complete minefield of legal risk. So the promise of, you know, you can just do this everywhere um, is, I think, a little overstated. And I think, you know, companies do really need to think country by country. So to give an example, you know, um, would would you right now want to have like folks in in Russia like maybe not um due to the ongoing kind of situation in Ukraine um and certainly you know if you're in that position you'll see Russian nationals moving to other countries and then you have to contend yeah. with well if they move to Turkey is Turkey a country which you know you want to like support a hub in um and then of course compounding that you also have um inflation so you have you know massive inflation in Turkey, you have huge amounts of inflation now in Latvia. So it's this kind of economic legal minefield. Um, yeah, and, and, and I geopolitical did... context as well to keep in mind. Totally. And I just wish countries would get together and say, look, let's agree that startups is a good thing. And let's agree that we all want smart people to get jobs uh, in startups in our country and work remotely and try and harmonize some of this stuff, um, because it, it does make it hard. And as a company, we would really want international talent. So, so I guess, yeah, Jero, I mean, and it's clear speaking to you, you're, you're a fan of remote work and this approach. I mean, how many, how many countries do you have teams scattered across at the moment? Do you, how many nationalities do you have? Do you, do you know that off the top of your head? It's probably something like 15 countries and 25 nationalities. That That's yeah. what I'd, I'd guess. Um, so so it's, a, it's a pretty international team. and. It, you know, I, I think it brings a whole diversity of perspectives that's really hard to get. I mean, I'm you know based in London, um, but you know I, I travel to our hubs, and it, it's hard to get the perspective we get from just one nationality. Um, so, so we've kind of optimized for that, um, and and I think it's also a little in the DNA of the of the company, right? So we were co-founded on a sort of remote basis between co two co-founders in two different countries, sure. which is kind of unusual at the time, and now you know I hope that's kind of the norm. And so for you as, as a remote going forward company, what are the core benefits? Yeah, so, so I, I think there's, there's two things, right? So one is flexibility. So yeah. I think, you know, for, for Juro, we had to think about this like really philosophically about, because you, you start going down a rabbit hole of like, what does it mean to go to work, right? It used to <laughs> mean in knowledge work that you would turn up to the premises and you would kind of sit there and, yeah. you know, type stuff and whatever. Um, and, and, and now that's shifted, right? So. I think the opinion we formed is what really matters is outcomes. So, so if, if together we can achieve shared goals and do it in the right way that's consistent with our values, then things like how long you spend doing it or where you spend doing it uh, should be basically irrelevant. So we trust yeah. people to take responsibility because you know we're adults, right? That we didn't employ any children. Everyone at Jura is an adult. Everyone, every startup's an adult. <laughs> uh, that's so, good to know. <laughs> right. So that's that. 
that's how that's how like we start and then over and beyond that you know we try our best to harmonize benefits across com countries i mean candidly it's quite hard due to different regulations um but make sure that you know everything about working in juro is a coherent experience and you know we keep iterating at that um and we keep trying to overcome these jurisdictional challenges to make that happen but you know, whether someone is dialing in on a Zoom or is in one of our physical hubs, it just shouldn't matter. And, and we've taken that even into our leadership team. So when we have our weekly leadership team meeting, we have actually a majority of folks in London, but not everyone. And we all dial in on Zoom. And we do that to level the playing field. So you don't have, you know, a room full of people and then one person on the screen. So I think you, you have to be very deliberate in making it work. But if yeah. you can make it work, the benefits I think were enormous. Um, and, you know, for me personally, I put my children to bed every night and it would be really challenging for me to do that if I had a one hour commute to our hub every day. Absolutely. And it, it really helps, I think, create, you know, a better work life balance and you can even better support your employees mental well-being, I guess, in, in so many ways as well, by allowing a bit of flexibility and, and trusting your employees. I guess that also brings a lot of more positive energy into the team. I think so. I mean, you know, my, my opinion's always been when you're starting a startup, you're building two products, right? Like you're, the one, one product is the thing you sell and the other product is the company itself because what that is, you're basically defining it as if you're a product manager, right? So you sort of might imagine your employees are the users of this product and there's this thing and the rules and the shape of it, you are literally defining yourself. So you spend a lot of time trying to build the company like a product and we have a fantastically good people and talent team who who drive that. Um, but it, it's something that's easy to forget, right? Because we're always obsessed with our targets and sales and product. And you forget that actually in the end, what is going to drive our success is having a really exceptionally talented group of people who feel well-respected and supported and in an environment where they can do great work. And, and that doesn't happen by accident. In fact, if you do nothing about it, it usually leads to a nightmare. And so... I think investing a lot of time there has really helped us. And, you know, our sort of employee NPS score, uh, I think, pe peaked at like 94, uh, but it's always been pretty high. Um, and, you know, our voluntary headcount retention is you know, 95% year on year. So that, that stability that you can bring through that thought counts for a lot, especially in a market we're going into in 2023, which is likely to be very, very unstable. Absolutely. So you're really prioritizing the people behind the company who are the ones that are helping push forward the company and helping build on the success and 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 help you know support them in the way that makes best sense sense to them and so i think for for many companies the idea of going remote and, and choosing this path there's there's two i guess core challenges one is kind of how you create this like team feeling this team culture many companies will use the word culture I'm not sure if I'm a fan of that mm. um, and the other is obviously dealing with us you know we mentioned before the jurisdictional challenges of, of hiring across borders and if somebody wants to go move to another country those sort of things and I, I you know as you mentioned you at, at Juro have really great um, employee retention scores you have really good ratings for being a good employer how exactly have you gone about or, or what tips would you have in terms of creating this nice this working environment that is supportive, that is um, positive 
to to a team when you're not actually seeing each other face to face. So I, I think there are three things that have helped us. I mean, we've obviously not got everything right, so so take it with a pinch of salt. But I think the the three things: values, rituals, and travel. So exactly. so so starting with values. The normal way values get built, in my experience, is the founders just like one day make them up. And usually you sort of see a, um, a slogan on the wall saying like, we love teamwork or something. And everyone's sitting there going, mm -hmm. well, kind of I like teamwork, but I don't know exactly what you mean. And I don't know where that came from. So I think being thoughtful in how you build values, which basically means having workshops with your team, identifying like non-aspirational commonalities in how you're operating well at that point in time, codifying them in a really simple way. So we have four values. Um, so they're easy to remember. And then operationalizing them everywhere. So values come into our performance reviews. Um, we celebrate uh, an example of lived values every week in all hands. Uh, even like to, a, to an extreme degree, our design team created a custom set of emojis, one per value. So that when someone yeah. shouts someone out, you can celebrate with a value-based emoji. So we're big on values. Um, okay. If you get that right and and this is being consistently enforced like you're promoting great behaviors and yes. you're saying you know actually this isn't okay being, being consistent and intentional with it yes yeah intentional is a great word right i think you know because if you're not intentional like and you're accidental like it does it just doesn't go well so so yeah. value is foundational right then you have rituals and i think rituals can be anything from all hands right which is a thing that happens once a week can even be automations in slack uh, so you know, for example, in Slack, we have like, a, we use a bot called Donut, which pairs people and you might have seen it. And then it, it allows you to have a Zoom coffee with a random person in the com company and not talk about work. So there's, there's little things you can do around that. Um, you know, all hands as well, like run it well. So if you make it a meeting that people want to go to, um, you know, then, then you have everyone there at least once a week, even if it's on Zoom. Um, so, you know, I, I've had a lot of negative feedback about my music choices in All Hands because we start with two minutes of music at the beginning of every All Hands, but people come and that, and that makes a difference. Um, so it's so, better to get the conversation going with the bad music, I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. And, that, you, know, I, that, you know, that moment when you land on a Zoom, there's like silence for the first two minutes, you've got like a yeah, hundred yeah. people on the Zoom. Yeah. We've, we've got rid of that awkward silence. Um, so, so um so values, rituals, um, I think like travel is important still. So this year, for example, we took the whole company to Turkey. Um, so we spent a week in, uh, three days in Turkey, um, you know, some work, some non-work, but I, I can't get around the fact that I think human beings still interact really well in person. And you just have to, to take the effort to make that happen. So sometimes it's our, you know, engineering meetups, uh, sometimes it's whole company meetups, but just just making sure, you know, once a quarter, once every half year, whatever it is, you prioritize that time. Interesting. So I'm, I mean, I'm kind of a very visual thinker. So I'm thinking it's like a tree, you know, you have at the very base, you have your roots of your values and then your rituals as it grows and then you outsource into these, into the travel opportunities where you can connect. And, you know, I think it's quite interesting. You're not taking away the opportunity for people to meet face to face and in person. And in fact, you're just enhancing it. and it's interesting to see how as well tech and, and different integrations can allow it to happen and really enhance the experience. Yeah, so just to to wrap up this super interesting interview, I feel like I could talk to you all day on all these themes. And um, as you are kind of really pushing forward the legal tech sphere with Juro, and we're entering into 2023, um, which is going to be an interesting year, I guess. 
what are your key predictions for the year ahead? So, uh, look, we spent a lot of time uh, thinking about the macroeconomic picture, right? I mean, I suppose everyone is thinking about this. And, you know, essentially, we have a very toxic combination at the moment of high inflation and low growth. I, mm -hmm. I think in, in the VC market, that has pretty much collapsed fundraising rounds. So I think uh, companies that will thrive will need to be highly capital efficient. And I think we're just in a changed world. And some of that is good, right? So we're not seeing the crazy valuation multiples, the cheap money, the excessive burn. So I think getting extremely disciplined um, is something that some companies will do in some way. I think those that will will thrive. I think that those that won't, there'll be a huge number of startups that go bust because they have a reliance on funding and they will not be able to get it. So I think that there's a, a scary thing coming that startups need to be prepared for. I think the positive side to that, because I'm an optimist, the positive side to that is these are the times when great companies get built, right? So if you look at when, when Google got built after you know 2001, uh, everyone said, well, you know, this is, this is a terrible time to start a company and, and century-defining companies were created. So as long as you think about companies as a business, you know, you remember revenue, you know, minus cost equals profit, the thing we've all forgotten in, in the tech world. And as long as you continue to build great products for people um, and you're responsible, actually, there's a world of opportunity next year. Interesting. That's great. And I love that you have a nice optimistic outlook on it i think that's really important you know at the end of the day challenges can breed opportunities for sure well thank you so much for, for joining us today this has been a really really insightful and an interesting conversation thank you thank you for having me Do